is the first Tuesday of September, the first Tuesday after Labor Day weekend. So welcome back from the three-day weekend, Mona. Thank you, Charlie. Great to be with you as always. So how was your weekend? What did you do? So we had a lovely weekend. Uh, We saw friends and uh, we also, like, have I ever mentioned to you that I have a very high-maintenance dog? No. (laughs) I have an 80-pound mutt. Um, who uh, needs a tremendous amount of activity in his life. What I was thinking, getting such a big energetic dog at my time of life, I do not know. But anyway, he keeps me active. It kind of sounds smallish. <laughs> I have 230-pound high-energy dog. Yeah, I, I have no idea how you can do that. Wow. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Your dogs weigh more than I do. That's crazy. Well, let's just say they fill up the back seat. I'm sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so so part of my task in life, as I'm sure it's part of yours too, is to make sure the dog gets enough exercise because otherwise it's hard to live with them. So uh, anyway, and it's good for us too. So we planned this hike and over the weekend and uh, we headed out to rural Maryland. There's a little mountain called Sugarloaf Mountain Mm -hmm. in rural Maryland. And it's about an hour and 15 minutes or whatever from D.C., maybe an hour, whatever, about an hour. Anyway, we drive out there, and it turns out, we didn't realize this, that um, the mountain was closed. I did not know that they closed mountains. No, I did not know See, that was a now thing. me either. <laughs> I would think it's a mountain. You can't close a mountain. You know... You know, I'm glad to hear you say that because okay. I was thinking, how do you close a mountain? Well, it turns out it's private property. Oh. And there's a big mansion up there where they hold weddings and corporate events and whatnot. And somebody tried to break in, apparently, about 10 days ago. And so they haven't caught this person. And so they closed it. It's private property. that They can do what they want. And they put up this big gate and we couldn't go hiking on the mountain, which is a shame because the views are mm. apparently based on what I saw. On the internet, the views are quite spectacular. Yeah. But okay, so there. Come the revolution, already... you will not be able to close mountains. I'm just making that on my list here. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> there will no, be no be... private no. property, no, no, no. comrade. <laughs> the mountains belong to us all. Okay. So uh, there we were. We had already driven all that way, and so we thought, all big right, scary well, dog. Big, you know? Well, he's not scary. He's kind of a goof, yeah. but he is big and needs his exercise. So. We decided to find some place to park, and we just walked along these, like, little country roads, which wasn't the greatest place to walk. I mean, there were these big, noisy cars roaring past us on a semi-regular basis, but we got in a good, you know, six-mile hike. But here was the great part. We passed a winery, which was open, We pa- and then we stopped and uh, had lunch at this uh, midway point at a little inn. You know, a place that, you know, we thought we'd be ordering like Egg McMuffins or something. And they, you know, no, the food was fantastic. But not only that, so there was an outdoor seating area. And and they allowed dogs. Dog friendly. They had, they had water dishes for the dogs. They had a big, you know, thing of water for the humans. I guess they know there are a lot of hikers around there. 
and you could go, you could sit inside or outside. They had little music going. There were families. I'm writing down our title for this podcast. Which is? Mona discovers civilization outside of Washington, (laughs) D.C. Not only civilization. (laughs) I've got to tell you, Charlie, the food at this little nowhere inn was so much better than most of what you get at nice restaurants in D.C. It was really excellent. But not only that, I mean. Apparently it was somewhere for somebody. Yeah, no, no, it was it was yeah, lovely. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you know, also the fact is, there we are in a rural part of the world, lovely views and all that. But also, people of every description, every ethnicity. Like we talked to these two guys who were from the subcontinent, who were the ones who told us that they closed the mountain, and there were African American families, there were white families. There was everybody was out having a good time, enjoying the weather, you know, the last burst of summer. And then, you know, on our way, walk back, you know, there were others who were doing the same thing at the winery and all was, you know, people were polite, people were laughing, throwing balls around, playing with their dogs. And I'm looking at this and I am thinking, hmm, now I wonder what these people are saying when they go home and they get on the internet and they comment on various sites. Like, are they full of rage and hatred of their fellow Americans? Are they, you know, full of roiling passions? Because it is so hard to reconcile ordinary life in America, ordinary life as is experienced on a daily basis. And by the way, you don't have to go out to rural Maryland to experience this. I mean, I do experience this all the time living in in my neighborhood in, in suburban Washington, too. I mean, people are... Pretty happy, pretty nice. I mean, until they get online. You know, I'm thinking that's maybe part of it, or, or maybe the fact is, you know, the the percentage of people who comment online is, you know, as terms in terms of a percentage of the whole population is actually quite small. Are we getting a skewed image of the country? You mean Twitter might not actually be real life? Is this what you are <laughs> suggesting to me? And all the comments sections and all that, you know? I mean, what do you think? You know, it's it's funny you should mention this because in in, in actual real life, people are so much kinder. They're more more polite. I went to a Milwaukee Brewer game this weekend, you know, at uh, Uh looking around. There's, you know, 35, 50,000 people there, and they were just having a good time. It was sort of America at its best. And you think, you know, America's got its act together. I mean, we have these wonderful communal experiences, and you would never know that, you know, there are these subterranean places where we all go to hate one another, just yell at one another. Yeah. By the way, one of the big buzzes in my section where I was sitting at the game. Yeah. That every time a player came up to bat, you know, they would have their their weight and their height. And they would compare it. The people around us were all comparing it to Donald Trump's claim that he was at six foot three and 215 pounds. (laughs) That guy's heavier than Donald Trump. Can you believe it? That's very funny. So it's interesting that. You know, we may think that's sort of just a throwaway, but that was that was the thing that resonated for for people. <laughs> hey, did I tell you? So this was the my my French grandson's very first Major League Baseball game. You know, oh. he, he'd, he'd been to French soccer matches in Marseille, but he'd never been to an American game. Had an absolute wonderful time. We were sitting behind the netting, so the chances that he would get a, a foul ball were virtually nothing. Right. He got a foul ball. No way. Actually, what happened was it hit the upper deck. Person up there drops the ball, drops down into our section. Guys behind us, guys behind us who were, I would say, having a very, very good time, 
they got the ball and they handed it to him. He's absolutely thrilled. So for, for all the people who've been to thousands of games and never gotten a foul ball, his very first game, <laughs> he got a ball. <laughs> How about that? Right. It's like a conspiracy to make him love America. <laughs> so have, having discovered that Americans are actually wonderful people, should we dive into the moment we find ourselves in? I guess so. We're back to work. I did the daily <laughs> podcast with, uh, with, with Will Salatin, and until the very few, last few minutes, I didn't get to the story, which is just bothering me. It, and I don't think people have internalized what it means that Elon Musk spent much of the weekend, speaking of the sewers of social media, yep. pushing the most overt anti-Semitic white nationalist memes out there. It's breathtaking, and there should be more coverage of it. I'm reading, you know, Claire Berlinski's newsletter, and she's looking around saying, okay, this is kind of a big deal. Yeah. You know, do you really want to be associated with the most vile public outpouring of anti-Semitism in American history? And she thought this would be a much bigger story, but instead, you know, she found, you know, a big piece in the Rolling Stone about it and uh, the Jerusalem Post and, and from the forward. But most media outlets haven't focused on the fact that, you know, I mean, Elon Musk has just crossed over into this bizarre line, pushing this hashtag ban the ADL, referring to the Anti-Defamation League, and blaming the Anti-Defamation League, which fights anti-Semitism for encouraging more anti-Semitism, and suggesting that they're what, what is responsible for all the losses that uh, the Twitter X is experiencing. It's not Musk's incredible incompetence and narcissism. It's the Jews. And this is like, okay, so it's Tuesday. To listen to the rest of this episode of Just Between Us, become a Bulwark Plus member today. 